Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. Today is Monday, June 20th, 2022, and this is show number 893. I hope your routine wasn't too disturbed by the NoSilicast coming out a day late. Steve and I, on a total whim, totally not like us at all, decided to simply drive four hours to surprise his father for Father's Day weekend. It was a great trip, and he was definitely very surprised, Uh, possibly disturbingly surprised. You know, he's in his 80s, and we weren't sure if it was good for uh, he and Steve's mom to be surprised like that, but we did it anyway. Anyway, we promised him we will probably never again be that spontaneous. Now, speaking of Steve, you're going to be hearing a lot from him on this week's show. Recently, Tom Merritt and Sarah Lane of the Daily Tech News show Fame hosted what they called a solar roundtable. The guests were NoSilicast Live producer Steve Sheridan, an engineer working at AES Solar named Joe Briney, and Boeing 777 Captain Brian Hoffman. Now, I'm telling you all of that because when Steve got off the phone, he was so excited about Brian's huge projects to use solar on his farm that we decided to invite Brian on to chit-chat across the pond, and we decided to do it where Steve helped me do the interview. In fact, it's probably mostly Steve, and I just kind of chime in from here uh, here and there. Anyway, in this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond, you'll hear Brian explain how he and his wife planted literally more than 10,000 trees by themselves, and about how he grows tilapia fish in the quote-unquote pond he built, and how creating that pond got him started getting into using solar to power his farm. Now, Brian didn't just write a check and have someone come out and install solar. He bought the components and he built everything himself. And that basically was just the beginning. He's, he's kind of descended into madness and it's wonderful madness. It was just such a great show. Now, you may not follow in Brian's footsteps, but it's really cool to know that it's actually possible to do all of this by yourself and to learn how Brian gives back to his community. Steve and I had a great time talking to Brian and learning from him, and I know you will too. And don't forget to go listen to that DTNS solar panel as well. There is a uh, link in the show notes to that episode and to this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond, and you can also find it in your podcatcher of choice. One of the questions electric vehicle drivers get asked the most often is, how long does it take to charge? I have gotten that question asked of me, I think, three times since I wrote the article that I'm about to talk about right now. Now, I answered the question of how long does it take to charge back in May of 2019, shortly after I got my first electric vehicle. I explained the answer is obviously, it depends. I went into great detail outlining all of the variables that go into answering what sounds like a simple question. But I got to tell you, I've changed my answer. The real answer is that it doesn't take me hardly any time at all to charge my car. Let me explain. First of all, every one of us is delusional on how long it takes to fill our cars with gas. I'm going to throw Rob Dunwood under the bus as an example. On the recent SMR podcast, episode F-150, where they talked about Chris's new truck, Rob said, it takes me about three minutes to fill the tank on my Escalade. Well, for Rob to fill a 28.3-gallon tank in three minutes, he must have a NASCAR pit crew using their pressurized fuel cans putting in gas for him. But you know what? Rob isn't different from anyone else. I just chose to throw Rob under the bus. Everyone I ask says, oh, it takes me less than five minutes to fill my tank with gas. Well, if you think it only takes five minutes, then why are you so annoyed when you realize on the way to work that you forgot to fill up on the way home? In this day and age, you probably don't stop at the gas station that's on your way. You probably drive to the cheapest station and maybe even wait in line at Costco to get the cheapest gas. Back to the question at hand. People asking this question, how long does it take to charge an EV, are really thinking about how inconvenient it will be on a road trip to charge a car versus just putting gas in a car. This is the wrong question. It's the wrong question because they're only thinking about road trips. They're not taking into account the time it takes to charge an EV when you're not on a road trip. Let's do a thought experiment with some squishy subjective numbers, and then we'll do some math. While the time it takes to gas gas to pour out of the pump and into your car is pretty short, if you're on a long road trip, isn't there anything else you need to do when you stop? I'm guessing you need a snack or maybe even a whole meal. Maybe you just go into a fast food restaurant, grab a burger and some fries and shovel it down, but this still takes time. Perhaps if you need to relieve yourself from the giant Coke you got at the previous stop, it takes even longer. 
There are things you do that take more than five minutes or three minutes for rub. Maybe you're one of those crazy people who really do care so much about getting there quickly that you don't ever stop and stretch your legs and you time your children as they race to the bathroom and then like an animal, you let them eat in your car. I don't think you can pull that off in less than 15 minutes. Steve and I, in a recent road trip of only four hours, stopped to have lunch. We packed sandwiches so we'd be as efficient as possible. We ate our sandwiches and then went to the bathroom, and in that length of time, the car charged up more than enough to arrive at our destination with plenty of range left to drive around when we got there. In fact, it took us much longer to eat than the car even needed to gain enough charge. Now, that's not a long drive, but the 30 minutes we took stopping to charge was more than enough to keep going. Since EVs charge much faster for the first 60 to 70% of the battery capacity, making a couple of really short stops on a longer trip is much more efficient than sitting there for an hour. Now, let's assume that twice a year, we both take a six-hour road trip, us in our EV and you're in your gas car. In that six hours, the ICE car, or internal combustion engine car, would need to stop to f- just once to fill up. We'll split the difference between the speed demons and the normal people and assume that stop is, say, 20 minutes. So 40 minutes total stopping for the entire round-trip drive for the ICE car. We're talking, say, two trips a year. So that's an hour and 20 minutes total for the year on road trips that you're going to spend in an ICE vehicle stopping for gas. Now, with an electric vehicle, I'd probably stop twice on that same six-hour drive. I could probably get enough charge into, I don't know, 10 to 20 minute stops. But let's assume I'm delusional like everyone else. Let's say that's not possible, not 20 minutes. Let's call it 30 minutes for each stop. That means 120 minutes per trip or 240 minutes I'm going to take on uh, my two trips a year. So I'm going to take four hours uh, per year stoppage time on road trips in my EV. So far, the EV took three hours and 20 minutes longer for the two road trips. Okay, so I'm behind by three hours and 20 minutes, but let's talk about the other 50 weeks of the year. How often do you go to the gas station? Let's assume you have a super efficient car, or maybe you don't drive very far to work and soccer practice and everything else, so you only need to fill up, say, every week and a half. That means you're going to fill up your car 33 times in those 50 weeks. Now, we've already established that it takes around 15 minutes to fill your car, assuming you don't have to drive to Costco and wait in line. Those 15 minutes, 33 times per year, work out to 495 minutes or 8 hours and 15 minutes for you to fill your gas car with gas. Okay? So let's see how long it takes me to charge my car when I'm not on a road trip. You've got that 8 hours and 15 minutes on a gas car. Let's see how long it takes me when I'm not on a road trip. I pull my car into my garage. I walk the width of Steve's car to take the charging cable off the wall. I walk that same width back. I press a button on the charger to open my charge cap. I shove in the charger, and as I walk past my driver's side window, I glance in to make sure it's set to charge overnight. Now, to be fair, I do have to reverse that long process in the morning, unplug and hang the cable on the wall charger in the morning, including walking back that entire width of Steve's car. So when I said hardly any time at all to charge my car, I meant it. It's maybe like a minute and a half total time spent, and it's only that long if I have trouble getting the cable looped the right direction on the charger when I'm done. Let's assume, again, I only need to fill up my EV the same 33 times per year as the ICE vehicle. Then it takes me 49 minutes per year to charge my car when I'm not on a road trip. So for the 50 non-road trip weeks, the ICE vehicle takes 8 hours and 15 minutes, while the EV takes 49 minutes. That gives the EV an advantage of 7 hours and 26 minutes. Now, on the road trips, the EV took 3 hours and 20 minutes longer, which means in a full year, including road trips, I spend 4 hours and 6 minutes less filling my car than with an ICE vehicle. Now, you could easily play with these numbers. You could make different assumptions. Like I said, I'm being very subjective and then doing absolute math on it. And if you made different assumptions, you could likely flip the math in favor of the gas car. But you can see that the two are not very far apart because 95% of the time, you could just charge at home. Now, if you can't charge at home, maybe you can't put a charger in your home, maybe you have an apartment, then the math changes quite a bit. The good news is that fast chargers are popping up all over the place, at least in the U.S. with Electrify America. You might be able to charge while you're doing your regular shopping each week, making it pretty efficient. 
Now, driving long distances definitely takes more time in an EV, and if you drive long distances super often, then charging will definitely make those trips take longer. Maybe it's a good thing, though, to take more stops when you drive long distances. You know, take a cat nap so you're safer on the road. Stretch your legs. It's good for you. If you're like most normal people and you have the ability to have a charger at home, then over the course of a year, you're probably actually saving significant time, even with those extended times charging on longer trips. Well, we're going to take a little break from talking about electric vehicles. Uh, we will be back to this topic, though, in a little bit. Nocilla Castaway Jill from the Northwoods recently made the full switch from Windows to the Mac. Jill had been a Windows user for a very long time and was so proficient that she was the one her family, friends, and coworkers relied upon for her support. She was a Windows admin and she taught classes on Windows. She also worked as a Windows 95 support team lead. So Jill knows her way around the Mac by now, but she doesn't feel like she's nearly as efficient as she was with Windows. Think of it as she was kind of like a pianist on Windows, but she's kind of a piano player on the Mac. It just doesn't sing for her just yet. To help her become a pianist, I started to send her what I called my Mac tip of the day, teaching her one little thing that isn't perhaps easily discoverable, but makes my Mac life much more efficient. I thought maybe this list of little tips and tricks might be useful for a broader audience, so I've started to compile them for you here. I've written so many little tips to Jill that this will be part one of X. I hope to keep doing these for her as they come to me, so I can't say how many tips there will be or when you're going to get another installment, but I definitely have a part two pretty close to ready to go. Now, I'm presenting these Tiny Mac tips in no particular order. In fact, they're in the order I sent them to Jill, which was the order in which they popped into my little brain. Now, one caveat, I, I, I'm talking about this just a few months before the release of macOS Ventura. I bring this up because I'll be referring to things like where to look in system preferences on some of these. And in macOS Ventura, Apple is redesigning and renaming system preferences. It's going to be called system settings, which will look a lot more like iOS settings. Hopefully, they'll keep things pretty much in the same categories, but they'll definitely look different from any screenshots I may include in these tips if you go look at the blog post. All right, here's the first one. Let's say you've got a folder with a lot of individual items in it, and you want to open a file or folder that you know it's buried somewhere in this giant long list. Let's use my documents folder as an example. I've got 92 items in it, and I wanted to open my scripts folder. Well, I can scroll and scroll and scroll until I get down to the S's in the list, but there's a tiny trick to speed this up. Simply type the letter S into thin air. The list will instantly scroll down to the beginning of the S's. Now, if you're quick about it, you can sometimes get two characters, such as SC, and that would jump me to my scan holding folder right above my scripts folder. Now, I'm not sure, but I think you might be able to get three characters in and get uh, directly to SCR, but I can't always do it fast enough, so I'm not sure it's actually working. All right, my next tip is, speaking of scrolling, what's up with the scroll bars on the Mac? At rest, they don't show. But as soon as you start to scroll with a mouse or uh, two fingers on a trackpad, you'll see them magically appear. If you have the reaction time of the tongue of a frog catching a fly, you can sometimes get your cursor to them to drag them down without scrolling. If this behavior annoys you, like it did me, you can actually change it. In System Preferences General, in the middle of that pane, you'll find a section on when to show scroll bars. You'll see three options. Automatically, based on mouse or trackpad. This option means based on what kind of mousepad or trackpad you have. If your device allows gestures, then the scroll bars will be hidden. But if it doesn't, they'll show all the time. Well, that's kind of weird. All right, the second option is when scrolling, which is the same thing. It's hidden until you start to scroll, but it'll happen no matter what kind of device you have. And the final is always as nature intended. I always check the always box. All right, sometimes you need to move a file from one folder to another, but you haven't yet opened the other folder. It turns out you don't have to open folders to move files into them. Let's say you got a photo of a cat on your desktop. You've got a folder on the desktop called Animals, and inside that you have two folders, one for cats and one for dogs. You'd like to move the cat off of your desktop and into that folder buried two levels deep into the cat's folder. Simply drag the cat photo onto the Animals folder and wait a heartbeat. They, th that animals folder will open automatically and then you can drag the cat onto the cat's folder and when it highlights, let go and you'll have successfully moved the file 
into the cat's subfolder. All right, here's another one. Sometimes the doc gets confused. The particular problem I have is that it will sometimes decide to be on my secondary display instead of my primary display. The solution sounds terrifying, but it's quite simple to execute. You can kill the dock. Yeah, kill it. To kill the dock, you need to open the terminal. Terminal is in utilities inside your applications folder. Open it up and simply type kill all space dock. And make sure you put the leading caps on dock. The dock will disappear and come back on the correct display. Here's another use case for this. Once in a while, your, your menu bar might misbehave. And for some odd reason, killing the dock fixes it. And I wish I understood how those two were connected. So remember, kill all dock. Sounds terrifying, but is actually pretty useful. Now, I mentioned in the dock killing tip the concept of a primary and secondary display. Let's say you're using a Mac notebook, but you have it plugged into an external display. Rather than give up the screen real estate of the internal display by putting it in clamshell mode, why not leave it open? I like to use it as kind of a throwaway screen, dragging messaging apps or just apps I'm monitoring over to the notebook display. If you use this approach and you open a new app, it's very likely to open on your Mac's internal display instead of the external display where you want it. The way you teach your Mac which is the primary display is not in the least bit discoverable. You usually only have to teach it once, but the trick is to open System Preferences and then Displays. In the Displays Preference pane, you'll see two displays, and with any luck, they're arranged properly, you know, up and down and left and right of each other. If they aren't, you can actually drag them up and down and even swap their positions so you can easily drag your cursor between them without difficulty. At the top of the display, which is currently acting as your primary display, you'll see a lighter band at the top, which is signifying the menu bar. You can relocate the menu bar to the display of your choosing by simply dragging it from one to the other. Now, when you relocate the menu bar, you may see that your apps and windows jump from one display to the other, which can be kind of dis disconcerting, but it only happens this one time. And now you have moved the menu bar to the primary display. One of the first things Windows converts complain about when switching to the Mac is that the delete key is a lie. In the Windows world, delete means to delete forwards, but in the Apple universe, delete means to delete backwards. Now, I'm not going to say which one is right, but it's very different between the two operating systems. So, for example, if I have my cursor, or caret, as Brett Terpstra recently corrected me, if I have my caret between the letter A and B, and I hit the delete key on a Mac, it will delete the A. Using the same key on Windows, it would delete the B. Now, I can see how that would be annoying. I can't convince Apple to change this behavior for you, but I can give you a quick and easy way to delete forwards instead of backward. And that's by holding down the command key and hitting the delete key. So instead of delete, it's command delete. If that delete key is just way too far away, you can use command D and that also deletes forwards. I hope we can all live in peace and harmony on this now. If you have a file or a folder in the finder, there's a very quick and easy way to rename them. Simply select the file and then hit the Enter key. This will immediately highlight the name and you can simply start typing. The original name will be erased and replaced by whatever you type. If remembering to hit the Enter key isn't easy for you, there's a second way. Select the file, pause a heartbeat, and then select it again. It will highlight just the way I described before and you can start typing. Now the reason for the pause is that if you click twice in quick succession, you'll open the file instead of selecting it. I find the enter key works better for me because I get impatient and I do the second, quick, the second click too quickly. Now here's a bonus tip to go along with that one. Let's say you have a file you want to rename, but you don't want to completely replace the whole name. Maybe you want to edit part of it or add something to the end or the beginning of the name. Use that same method to select the name of the file until it's highlighted. Then you can use your arrow keys to move around in the name just as you would in, a, in the middle of a text document. If you hit the right arrow key with the name highlighted, you'll be able to add to the end of the name. And if you use the left arrow with the name highlighted, you can add to the beginning of the name. Now, have you ever been using an app and you need something in a menu, but you just can't find it? You start in the most obvious menu, but you start flipping through all of them in a desperate search for that menu item? In any standard Mac app, and in even in a lot of non-standard cross-platform apps, the last menu item will be Help. Inside the Help menu, you should find a search field. If you type into the search field the item you hope to find in the menus, the help menu will change. 
If it finds any matches to your search, it will list them under the heading of Menu Items. If you hover over the menu item you're seeking, it will drop down the appropriate menu and give you a giant blue arrow pointing at the one you were looking for. Now this does two things for you. You can simply select the item in the Help menu to execute the selected action, but by showing you where it is, maybe next time you'll know where to look. Now, personally, I just get really lazy and I use search all the time because it's more reliable than my memory and faster than I can ever find them. In addition to showing you the item for which you searched under menu items, you'll also see a section called help topics on the same subject. These are standard macOS help topics, and while it's lovely that they offer them, they're really what I wanted. The help topics from macOS have a question mark in front of a circle, while the menu items have a little blue icon of a drop-down menu. As I said, I use this way all the time to find menus, and even in apps I've been using for years. Okay, there are eight tiny tips for you, and I've got eight more to tell you about in part two. If you found these tips helpful, even if you've been using the Mac for a while, please let me know. If you've got a favorite tiny tip for the Mac to share, send me an email at allison at podfeet.com, and perhaps I'll include it in a future installment. I'm having a lot of fun putting these together for Jill, especially because she hasn't once said, well, I knew that. I suspect some of these she did know, but by being polite, she's encouraged me to keep on giving. And that's why Jill from the Northwoods is one of my favorite people. Our hero of this week is Steve Matan. Hope I'm pronouncing that right, the accent on the right syllable there. Anyway, this absolutely fine gentleman went to podfeet.com slash PayPal, and he donated a very generous sum of money to support the podcast we do here. In particular, he gave a shout out to both Taming the Terminal and Programming by Stealth. Looks like I'm going to have to split this donation with Bart, but I'm sure surely glad to do that. Bart is such a huge part of the community here, and I love to see his contributions so recognized. So thank you, Steve, and as I said in my message to you, you are a gentleman and a scholar. Well, in your house, you may debate which impressionist artists you prefer, or maybe you discuss how much nitrogen would it take to get a plumeria to grow in a northern climate. Perhaps the power of poetry versus rap is a subject of discussion. But when two engineers marry, the discussions are quite different, I assure you. I'm a mechanical engineer, and Steve is an electrical engineer. There's a very good reason that I chose mechanical engineering, and I think it's going to become obvious to you after the discussion you're about to hear. I'd like to welcome Steve Sheridan to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Allison. This is going to be interesting. So we have uh, two electric vehicles, we have solar panels, and we're getting solar batteries. For this reason, I'm being forced to learn the electrical engineering terminology to describe all of these things. And your gift is that I'm going to make you learn them along with me. And I expect oh, Steve to do some, uh, some corrections constantly of everything I answer, correct? No, I, I don't correct, do I? No, not at all. Never. <laughs> all right. So, Should we get into it? I thought you were going to correct the very first thing that I said. Well, you did say solar batteries, and uh, just a clarification, the batteries we're getting don't have to be used with solar panels. You can charge them off the grid, but we are going to be using solar to charge ours. Does anybody do that? Um, I think there might be some cases where people do that um, to redistribute when they're drawing power from the grid versus the battery. Okay. So one of the reasons I wanted to do this is because we've had this discussion 38, 47 <laughs> times, and right. I keep getting it mixed up. So Steve has written some some show notes that we can refer to and that you'll be able to go back to and refer to if you get mixed up as much as I am always getting mixed up on this terminology. And again, this is one of the reasons I chose not to be an electrical engineer. <laughs> so uh, w what's the context for why we're going to be talking about this stuff, Steve? Yeah, I, it came up recently. Actually, it's come up over the past several months. I've heard a lot of talk about electric vehicles. Uh, first, when we looked and looked for and bought ours, and then a lot of EVs are coming on the market. So there's an, a lot of discussion about uh, charging EVs. That's that's a big point of interest. And so I, I'm hearing a lot of uh, talk about how quickly you can charge the EV battery and how much charge the batteries will hold and how much range you can get out of a full charge. But as this as this discussion comes about, I often hear um, many folks using the wrong units for some of the EV charging terms. 
And these are really easy mistakes to make. I, I'm a little picky because I'm an electrical engineer, as Allison mentioned. A little, mentioned. just a little picky. <clears throat> so a lot of people do it, but I think it's important to get those units right so that you can be clear and avoid confusion, uh, confusion when talking with others. So that's okay, what so kind of motivated this for me. That's, that's our goal. That's our goal, yes. <laughs> we'll see if we achieve it. All right. So we've, we've rearranged the notes uh, quite a few times because almost any place you start, you're going to have to go, well, wait a minute, first I got to tell you this. Mm -hmm. So we ended up in a circle where we just kept rearranging the notes into a circle. So we're just going to have to dive in somewhere. And I think the first thing we want to talk about, we're going to start with units and explain what those units are and when you would use them, right? Right. And most of these units are related to charging batteries and in particular electric vehicle batteries or possibly a whole home backup battery, or even later we'll, we'll get into um, the smaller batteries on portable devices. Because the units change, you guys. Because they do for the some units. unknown reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, again, makes me, makes me crazy. Okay, so right. what's, what's the first unit we're going to start with? So we're going to kind of work backwards where the first unit is, a, is already built up from previous units, but it's probably the one most people are interested in, and that's kilowatt hours. It's abbreviated K, capital W, H, but it, it's a measure of how much total energy is stored in the battery. Um, often it's a term that will indicate how much the battery can hold or how charged the battery is. That's referred to as state of charge. So you might ha not have a full battery, but you would have so many kilowatt hours in the battery indicating how charged it is. And then there are some examples of batteries and how charged they can be or how much energy they use. Okay, so, so for, for, for example, we're going to get uh, Tesla Powerwalls. How, how right. many kilowatt hours can a Tesla Powerwall hold? Perfect way to start. So a, a Tesla Powerwall can hold up to 13 and a half kilowatt hours. That's stored energy. Okay, so that's yeah. like a bucket of energy. It's this much. It's a pile yeah. of it. And it allows you to do a certain amount of work with that energy if, as you drain the battery. Okay. So then if you get into car batteries. Yeah. So this varies a lot depending on the, the car, but we'll just use Allison's Model 3, Tesla Model 3. It has a 75 kilowatt hour battery. And that's pretty average for, let's say, a, a higher end electric vehicle. Not... Not typical with a large EV like the new F-150 Lightning that our good buddy Chris has, Chris Ashley. That thing has a monstrous 130 watt, I'm sorry, 130 kilowatt hour battery. Twice, almost twice uh, your battery's capacity. Right. Now, that that's a, a vehicle that weighs a lot more and is going to have a lot mm -hmm. more wind resistance. I've got a little tiny sports car shaped thing and he's got a giant truck. So right. uh, he, interestingly, the range of his vehicle and my vehicle are about the same, he, uh, a little bit over 300 miles. Right. So uh, you get into the efficiency of the cars. How far can you go on how many kilowatt hours? Uh, exactly. I, I, oh, no, I was accidentally going to start talking about phones, but we can't go to phones yet. So before we leave that, okay. you'll see that often these kilowatt hours of stored energy is kind of tied to what range do you want to get out of the car, out of the vehicle. So you just pointed out Chris's battery is almost twice as big, but you're getting comparable range. Well, that's why his battery's twice as big, to get a range that's reasonable, which is around 300 miles on a full battery charge. Right. So like a lot of things, if you stay within the product line, then you can tell whether, uh, like the, um, you can get his vehicle in a 100 kilowatt hour battery. Mm -hmm, and then the roughly. longer range one is 130. And that and then that's a good comparator. You can't really compare the the size of my battery and the size of his and say, well, his can go twice as far. Because it's right. carrying a different vehicle, so it's not really comparative. Right, because so, of all those reasons. Sir, my car has a 75-kilowatt-hour battery, but I, I'm buying a battery that's only 13.5 kilowatt-hours. Yeah, that's always bothered me. We have the most, the most powerful battery for a home backup sitting in our garage. Actually, we have two of them. <laughs> so, yet, uh, it's, you know, it's six times more than a Tesla Powerwall. Why, why don't we just plug our house into our car's battery? 
Well, the answer is that takes a lot of electronics and it's a lot of cost and wiring. It would take, well, let me put it differently. When we have our Tesla Powerwall installed, it won't just be a battery. It'll be four additional boxes that go on our exterior wall, which will control the interface to the grid. It'll control the batteries, the interface to the solar panels. And those batteries are made to provide power directly to our home, um, whereas our cars are not. And in addition to these four boxes on our house, you'd have to have electronics in the car itself to supply that energy outside the car going the other direction. So even with all the stuff that we're doing to our house, we can't use our car because our car was not designed to do it. However, we could use Chris's car because his Ford F-150 can power his house. But in order for him to use that, he can't just plug it into a, a, a wall outlet and flip a switch that says, send the energy the other direction into my house. He would have to I, buy lots of electronics to do I, that. I believe he would. I don't think it's as simple as plugging into an outlet in your home. Okay. Okay. So... One more time, the, the units we're talking about here is kilowatt hours. Right. And the hours is important because we're about to move to another unit that doesn't have that. It's just plain old kilowatts. Okay. And that's like the kilowatt podcast. Like the like Bodie's kilowatt podcast. So kilowatts is a measure of power or how quickly power flows into a battery. And it relates to how fast you can charge a battery. So um, to give some examples, um, you, public and some of the home chargers will often show kilowatts, that, that unit, to reflect how fast they're charging an EV. And so here, here are some examples of different powering power levels. Um, incandescent bulbs, which you don't find as many of these days, 60 to 100 watts. Hang typical. on, hang on. You said it was power flowing into a battery and then you well, used a okay. light bulb. So power can either flow into a battery to be charging it. It can flow out of the battery to be using the battery. It can go into a light bulb to light it up. So power can be used many ways. Okay. Um, and they're all kind of equivalent. It's just how is the power used? Okay. Okay. So in it's a light the bulb, flow it's, of power. It's the... Right. And in a light bulb, it's used for light, but actually most of the power goes into heat for an incandescent bulb. <laughs> Which is why we don't use incandescent bulbs anymore. Correct. Okay. Right. So typically- 100 watts. 100 watts, right? Now we bump it up by a factor of 10, handheld hair dryer, just typical blow dryer, about 1,000 watts, or we call that a kilowatt, kilo meaning meaning 1,000. Okay. Uh, bump it up another thousand, uh, another factor of 10 to our home charger. Now, this, this varies a lot with different home chargers, but ours charges at around 10 kilowatts, 10,000 watts. So 10 hair dryers. Yeah, 10 hair dryers. That's not very fast. Or hair dryers are really inefficient. <laughs> Actually, hair, hair dryers like the worst incandescent light bulb. All it's doing is making yeah. heat. Well, that's its purpose. Well, heat and, uh, and some airflow, I guess. Right. But it wants to make heat. A light bulb doesn't. <laughs> okay. And then, then then we get to the real big uh, power, power flow devices. Uh, a Tesla supercharger, that can charge at over 150,000 watts. And that's 150 kilowatts. That's like 15 times more than our home charger. In fact, they can go up higher, 200 to 300,000 watts. I think Three. that's... Oh, yeah, that is 15 times, isn't or it? Or 300 kilowatts. But typical ones you'd see around 150 kilowatts. I was looking around at the Electrify America ones. Like, you, they seem to be at, at Walmart for some reason. And yep. they were, I was seeing numbers like 350 kilowatts there. That's the max that a level three charger can charge, 350 kilo, uh, kilowatts. You don't often find that, and you won't achieve that for very long, for many reasons. Part of it is the battery won't accept that much charge rate for an indefinite period. Batteries like to be charged quickly when they're at a low level of charge. Okay. And then and then when they get up to 50, 60%, they start tapering off. They won't accept that full Okay, rate. so they may advertise it as 350 kilowatts. Boy, I want to put the word hour at the end of that. Yeah. 350 kilowatts, they may say that, but you won't get 350 kilowatts the whole time. Yeah, and even and there are some that aren't even won't ever achieve three hundred. Some are at a hundred. Some are but at but I'm seeing a lot of them at three fifty. I was really surprised. I good. started poking at a lot of them, and that's that's triple or wait no, a little more than double what the Tesla superchargers are. No, there there are. It depends on the supercharger. There are 
a couple versions of supercharger, Tesla superchargers, and the highest end ones do charge at 350. Oh, okay. Kilo, okay. Kilowatts. Okay. That's the max that a, that a um, fast DC charger will charge. So the reason we care about kilowatts is uh, that starts to go into how fast can you charge your, your vehicle. So when right. people are always asking me, how long does it take to charge your car? And, and I say it depends. It depends on am I doing it at home at 10 kilowatts or am I doing it at a supercharger at 150 or 250 kilowatts? Right. And how full is your battery when you start? Right. Um, you might say, okay, let's, let's just say you found a supercharger that charges at 150 kilowatts and your battery is 75 kilowatt hours. So if, if you charge at a rate of 150 kilowatts for an hour and actually achieve that, you would build up 150 kilowatt hours of total charge. In one hour at 150 kilowatts. Right, which your battery wouldn't even take. Now, you might say, well, does that mean you can charge your battery from zero to full, which is 75 kilowatt hours, in a half hour? Well, not really, because of what we're talking about. The the charge rate tails off as you get closer to 100%. Right, right. It's up to about 60 to 70%. It's linear, and then after that, it slows way down. Okay, so we for that I, reason, I don't want to get too deep into okay. that part, though. Uh, okay, so watts and watt hours. What makes up watts? So watts, which is power and how quickly you charge, that actually is made up of a couple terms in electrical terminology, and that is volts times amps. And I can define those here in a bit. But for an example, um, our home charger is on a 240 volt circuit and a 40 amp circuit that it's a circuit breaker that has 40 amps and when you multiply those two you get 9600 9, watts or 9.6 kilowatts of power That's okay so you took volts times amps mm-hmm. and got watts so 240 volt circuit times a 40 amp circuit gave right. us 9.6 kilowatts right Okay, I'm only doing that correctly because I'm actually reading what he's typed. By the <laughs> by, the way, right? Um, okay. So volts and amps make up watts together. The product of the two make give you watts. Okay. Dare I ask what amps and volts are? We can. We can get into that. So amps are a measure of electric current, which is think of it as the amount of electric charge that's flowing per unit time. Say, amount of charge in a second. Okay. Through through a wire. Let's. Wait a minute, Let's wait see. a minute. Amount of charge, that sounds like a speed of charging, and that's what we said kilowatts were, or watts were. Well, speed of charging is filling up a battery, and that is more than just how quickly the electrons flow into the battery. It's how energetic are are those electrons when they get in. So wait, which one is? Volts, wait, wait, amp, amps watts, is? Or? Watts, which is power, has volts and amps. Okay, but but you amps said is watt, the speed. You said watts quick, was the speed. Watts is the the let's call it the um, the rate of power going into the battery. Okay, so it includes amps, which is which reflects the rate, and it includes another factor, which is how energetic are those electrons as they get into the battery. That's the volts. Okay. By the so, way, we yeah. are right at the spot where I said, okay, I'm out, and I went mechanical. <laughs> this is because yep. I, I want to come up with an analogy like gallons per hour, gallons per minute, or, or yeah. basketballs per minute down a pipe or something. But it, it, there isn't anything equivalent to that because of that energy factor in volts. Yeah, that's what makes it a little less intuitive. Amps, um, you'll see that used a lot in your home with circuit breakers. Right, you'll have a 15 or a 20 amp circuit breaker in your electrical panel um, for normal circuits, and maybe for an electric oven or an EV, you'd have a 40 amp circuit. So amps, flow of electricity, and that's the thing. If it gets too high, the wires heat up and they can melt. And that's why you have a circuit breaker. So it won't. It limits how much how much current will flow through a wire. So the circuit breaker that says. 20 amps at 20 if if more than 20 amps tries to go through that it'll shut itself off yeah for a certain amount of time it it has to be 20 amps for a certain time but yes roughly that's roughly uh when it'll cut off 
If you want to end up knowing a lot about circuit breakers, have solar installed on your house. Yeah. <laughs> I never used to be able to say any of this stuff without stumbling, and now I can say a third of it without stumbling. But okay, yeah. so, so we've got our, our circuit breakers, amps, that's the amount of electric charge. And if you have too much of it, that's what melts a wire. Okay. Flowing, uh, amount of electric charge flowing. per unit time. That's okay. the, the rate of electrons. Okay. Okay. Now, now volts is the other part of the power equation. Remember, power is volts times amps. Mm -hmm. So volts here—that's a measure of electric potential, and this uh, between a couple, two conductors, let's say, two wires. And this is the unit that's probably least intuitive. Yeah, because you lost in, me already. Yeah. Between, what do you mean by two between two wires? I'm holding them out in space, and it's jumping between them. Yeah, you haven't connected them, so they're separated. Okay. And between, if you measured the potential between them, that would be a voltage. One is at one voltage, one is at another, so there's a difference in potential, uh, electric potential. And there's no, there's Steve no. Steve is the only one who can see my face one. right now. I'm just <laughs> making a what the heck are you talking but about face? Let me try to give an analogy. So it's going to be a rough analogy, but let's. Um, Let's talk, think about a waterfall and, and the potential for water to flow down the waterfall under the force of gravity, which is potential energy. Down. Potential energy in this case okay. versus a voltage potential, but there's kind of a relationship here. So if you think about it, uh, as the waterfall gets taller and taller, that is like increasing the voltage potential in an electric circuit. Okay. It's like it. It's not precisely mathematically the same, but it's like it. So the difference in height is is like the voltage potential because the, the higher the waterfall is, the faster it will be traveling when it hits the bottom of the falls and the more power it would generate. So that's think of that as a potential energy difference, the height of the waterfall. That's like a voltage potential between two conductors. I'm not sure water falls at a higher speed if it starts higher. I'm not it, sure that's true. The force of gravity. Well, it probably eventually re it reaches, reaches a, a limit velocity. pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. But let's let's assume it's not in the terminal velocity range. So yet. it's a little it's, bitty waterfall, and it hasn't had time to. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. accelerating as it goes. Okay, I'll, I'll give uh, so, you that one. So, to bring this to home, where you typically hear about voltage in the home is uh, also electrical circuit that you'd plug in an outlet, typically 120 volts at least in the U.S., and maybe you might be dealing with a 240-volt circuit in some other applications, even in the U.S., but certainly in Europe. So th those are volts. Those when are AC So when volts. you're talking about that, that don't we're not talking AC <laughs> versus DC. We are not doing okay. that one. No, don't. We'll stay don't, away from that. Don't, don't even. Don't That's start the third rail. Yeah, it is the third <laughs> rail. I'm not going to let you talk about that because right. I don't understand that either. So when you're talking about this potential energy bet, uh, between uh, the two wires, the volts, that would be where like you get shocked if it's too far apart, right? If you, if you touch it. Or if it, you complete it. If you, if complete, you complete that circuit, circuit by touching the two. Or like light, lightning, it. right? Yeah, yeah. So there's well, a high potential up in the sky in the in the storm, and there's a low potential down on the ground. Yeah, it's a ground ground level zero. Okay, it's the reference point, and okay. then up in the sky, it's tens of thousands of volts. And okay, that gets completed without anyone touching it. It just goes right through the air. Well, there's probably office. water involved. Uh, yeah, water vapor, right? Yeah, something's got to um, something's got to get excited to make the path. Yeah, right. Or a kite with a string. Actually, I just saw a great video on on TikTok of a uh, of a a rocket they attached a wire to and shot it up into a storm, and you can see the lightning come down, hit the rocket, and then just go in a straight line to the ground. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Okay, so why do I care about volts and amps again? Because I got to multiply so, them together for some reason. Right. Just as a reminder, volts times amps give you watts, which is power, which is the rate at which your car will charge or the rate at which you consume power in a light bulb or the rate at which your uh, hair dryer draws power or the rate at which my solar panels can provide uh, generate energy right given full sun right okay so you often talk about kilowatts of we have 22 solar panels times is it 370 right somethings 370 
kilowatts each. No, each one is only 370 watts. 370 oh, watts. So 322 of those gives you, well, it gives you about 8.1 kilowatts, okay. but there's an efficiency factor that brings it down to about 6.5 kilowatts that that's we get out of our solar and panel. And Steve is not touching the third rail right there. <laughs> that's the conversion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we care. I do care about watts there, but there's times where... I know when we were getting wired up for putting the, uh, getting a, a charger for our house, getting a, mm -hmm. a Tesla charger, where we had to know things like how many volts and amps in our circuit, right? Right, right. And that, that has to do with the limitations of how much uh, amperage and power a house can take in through its electrical panel. Okay. And that has to do with the wiring from from the grid to your home and the panel's main breaker which is rated typically 100 to 200 amps okay so we were adding we had to add a circuit to be able to do our our uh our electric vehicles right right a pretty big one uh, in our case it was amp? a 50 amp circuit right not okay. as big as they go they for our charger you could go up to 60 but we we couldn't handle quite that much Okay. And and then all that got thrown away when we added solar. We had another panel put in and it's a so many panels going on. Right, right. Okay, so maybe you could walk us through some uh EV charging power levels to explain maybe bring this back to why we care about this. Right, back to the EV world. So there are um definitions of levels of EV charging and they're standardized. I believe. By oh yeah, I've I've heard Rod Simmons talk about level right. one and level two, level three charging, and I've never known what the there's breakpoints on that that are defined. Correct, and, and so I'll just state what they are. Level one is your bottom level, and that's typical for the home charging of an EV using a, just a standard 120 volt, maybe 20 amp circuit, and you're only going to get about 1.3 to 2.4 kilowatts out of that kind of a charger and that. Okay, now, I'm can a, we do the I'm, math to do that? You just said a, how many amp circuit? Uh, like a 15 to 20 amp circuit. Let, so, so 20 times 20. 120? Right. Would be 2.4 kilowatts. You got it. Ah, okay, okay. Right. So it, it's as simple as that. Um, and just as a point of comparison to tell you how quickly or slowly that would charge your Model 3, that's only about three to four miles of range for every hour of charge. So right. If you charged overnight, let's say 10 hours, you'd get only 30 to 40 miles of range. Right. Car. So right. That's a really, it's almost, I mean, if you it's have worth all the time in the world, it's better than nothing. But if you're commuting every day and it's more than 30 miles, that's not going to do it for you. Okay. Okay. So I, actually, level. I've never I've never seen that math worked out. That uh, that's why uh, we set a twenty amp circuit, hundred twenty uh -huh. volt outlet. Uh -huh. Twenty times one hundred twenty is two hundred forty, or two point no, twenty four twenty four hundred. Sorry, and that's two point four kilowatts. I bet I messed right. that up the first time I said it, but I'm not going to edit no, I, it. No, you got it right. I think. Okay, so that that allows me in every hour of charging at that rate then I can only go three to four miles on my, with my battery. And, right. and your mileage may vary. Steve has a very, very similar car with the Model Y, but it's a yeah. bigger car and it's got the same battery, but he, does, he gets a different amount of, of range. Chris, for example, would probably get about half that range. Right, right. As an example. Okay, because he's, he's putting in at the same rate of kilowatts, mm -hmm. but he's got a lot more to fill to get the same range. Right. Double. Okay. Okay, next That's level, level one. Level two is a, a, a better way to charge at home, and, and you'll also see it in some public charging stations. So these, level two is defined as using 240 volts, not your standard 120 volt outlet. So in our case, we had to add a 240 volt circuit because it's not standard. It wasn't in our garage. We didn't have an electric dryer or anything like that. Okay, but that's where, when we go to Lindsay's house, she does have an electric dryer so we right. suck energy out of her house at a at a faster rate on a so dryers are two hundred forty volts, typical electric dryers are electric. yes okay right because they need they need power for both heat generation and to turn the motor and both of those combined takes more than one hundred twenty volts can deliver on a twenty amp circuit so, so would that be the same uh, number of amps 
on that circuit too? Well, it, those vary. Um, so a, a typical electric dryer takes about 30 amps on a 240 volt circuit. Our, um, we put in a 50 amp circuit for our EV charger and some people put in 60 but keep in mind that you get 80% of the of the rated uh, breaker uh, of the breaker rating so a so a 50 amp breaker gives you 40 amps 80% of 50 at the car for charging why didn't we so have to do that when we said 120 volts at 20 amps why didn't we have to bring that down by 80% by 20% um good question that's that's a good question. I don't know. Should we have? Maybe we should have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When I looked at that range, um, I just pulled that out of the definition of the levels, but I'm not sure that was necessarily a 20 amp circuit. It okay. might have been it might hmm. have been 25. Although typically 20 amps is the most you see for a standard home circuit in the US. Some okay. are, some are 15. So let's do the one we do understand. So 240 volts at 50 amps, where 50 amps is really 40 amps because electrical engineers hate us. 40 right. amps times 240. I'm going to have to, I'd have to get my calculator. 9,600. 9, We're back to 9,600 again. Okay. But your so notes don't say 9,600. They say 14, four to 18 somethings. That's a range because um, level two chargers have varying levels of current. It could be as low as maybe 20 amps and as high as 60 or 70 amps. I, I don't know what the range is, but um, we're kind of a middle of the road with with the 40 amp, well, 50 amp circuit breaker, 40 amps realized. And that gets us nine or 9.6, kind of in the middle of the four to 18 range. Okay, it's and, actually and, 9.4, but okay, I'm going to, I was putting the 50 amp effective 40 amps into the notes, but then they won't make any sense. I'll take it back out. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, and also as a point of comparison, for charge rate on your car, that gives us uh, that gives us about 34, 35 miles of range per hour of charge. And that's pretty good for an overnight charge. You, you charge less than, you charge nine hours and you're fully charged from zero to 100% on your battery. So... Hang on, I've lost the thread now because you uh, you put the notes in for the generic answer, which is four to eighteen kilowatts, or about fifteen to sixty five miles per hour of charge. But at the the heading, we talk we we're saying we're going to talk about it for a Tesla Model Model Three. Yeah. So for the for the Model Three at our house, <laughs> with I'm typing this real time two hundred forty volts times forty amps. Is equal Should be 96, to, it's 9,400. 9, mm, it is right. 9.4 kilowatts. And we said that was around 30, uh, 30 miles per hour, right? 35. 35. It's very strange, by the way, the first time you hear it to hear, I'm charging at 35 miles per hour. Right. <laughs> That's a really mind-bendy thing. But now that you've heard us talking about it, hopefully you understand that that when you're talking about kilowatts going in, you need to know what range that many kilowatts, uh, or wait, no, that's right, shoot. Uh you have to relate kilowatts to kilowatt hours to get to that it would be 35 miles in an hour. Right. Right. So in this case, it, it's not the total range that you achieve. It's how quickly you're adding range to your battery because it's a rate. So right. kilowatts gives you miles per hour of charge, whereas kilowatt hours give you total miles you can achieve on the battery charge. Okay. Okay. I think I think I I think I'm getting that. The ranges okay. make it a little hard to follow too, but uh yeah, the math is making sense. So level two is two hundred and forty volts at some right. random number of amps. Right. At a varying <laughs> yeah. It it can vary depending on the charging station or what you've wired at home. Okay. So that's a pretty big range to say from four to eighteen kilowatts. It is, but it's in a different class than the next level. These are all different classes of charging. The next and the highest is level three, and that's sometimes called fast DC charging. Um, and this is um, this requires some very substantial circuitry and hardware that can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars 
for a, a charging station. So this is not typically something you find at a home unless the home is really decked out. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you'll find these as public and proprietary network charging stations like Tesla superchargers or uh, Electrify America has, as you were talking uh, about, have, have several fast DC chargers. They're probably, bes- behind Tesla, they are probably second in the number of fast DC chargers. And then some, not very many, some of the ChargePoint and EVgo stations also support uh, DC fast charging, but very a small percentage of them. Yeah, I think the ChargePoint them, was got out in front really quickly, but then yes. that they haven't maybe gone to the higher speed chargers. We right. stopped at a uh, at a hotel, <laughs> oddly enough, to try to make some kind of radio contact with a friend of yours over short wa- short wave radio or something. I forget yeah. why we were there, but I remember we tried to charge my car, and it would have it was it was more in the like four miles an hour kind of kind of rated at the uh, at that charge point. They might have better ones, yeah. but yeah. So that was a level two charger. So it's in the range of four to 18 kilowatts. Okay, but now we're talking about level three is... Which is another, a whole nother step up, 50 to 350 kilowatts. Okay. That's 50 to 350,000 watts of charge going into your car. And that is fast. And can you give us that in miles per hour? It's a huge range, um, but at the low end uh, for your car... Mm-hmm. 180 miles per hour of charge at the high end. And I don't know if we'd actually achieve this very long, 1200 miles per hour of charge. <laughs> <laughs> so in like 15, 10 minutes, you'd have a full charge if you could maintain that. I don't think that we'll ever see that. But One of the fun things about the Teslas, when we pull into a supercharger, we sit there and watch what is that, that uh, rated miles per hour. And we've mm-hmm. seen 500, right? Maybe even oh, higher, yeah. 600 yeah. miles in an hour? I've seen a 800 is the highest I've seen. 800, okay. Yeah. So, but again, you can't just sit there for 10 minutes and you go, boom, my, va- my battery's full because of that charging rate. But what it does tell you is that you need to charge when your battery is is low to medium full. It We used to go to the charging station and, and sit there for an hour. Well, that didn't do you any good. You want to get that mm-hmm. front end fast charge and then get on the road and maybe make another stop. Yeah. And, and the Tesla onboard app optimizes the charge time. It minimizes the charge time. It might give you another stop, but for much shorter than uh, a single stop for a much longer period. Right, so right. So it's, it's doing that calculation in real time to let you know where to make the stop and how long to charge. Okay. So to to bring it back home again, I'm going to keep saying this because, and I'm trying not to say the what I want to say, which is saying right. it incorrectly. I'm not going to do it, Steve. Uh, kilowatt hours is the capacity, even though it's got the word hours in it, it's capacity. Yep. And the word that doesn't have any hours in it, that's the speed of charging. Kilowatts. Relates to the speed of charging. Yes. No, it is the speed of charging. Speed, speed is seconds, right? Or something per second. This is at, kilowatts is measured in slightly different units than. Don't start I, it does with have me. seconds in the denominator. Don't I'll start give you with that. me. Don't. No, no. This is. Ah, I really want it to be per hour, is what I want it, it to be. It is. It's not. You can think of it as um, electrons at a certain voltage level per, per second. This is why no one talks to you at parties, Steve. <laughs> yeah. That's why you married me. <laughs> oh, so I could be your front person. Okay, so we're, t- we're talking about kilowatts as the speed of charging, and kilowatt hours is, is the capacity. But when or I go by- energy. Can I just call it capacity, please? Sure. But when, but when I go to buy a little charger for my iPhone, it doesn't say kilowatt hours in it. It doesn't say megawatt hours. It, it just- and it doesn't say watt hours. It right. says milliamp hours. Right. Or amp hours for a, 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 maybe a laptop battery. Mm, and there's Maybe. Okay. Yeah. It might be thousands of milliamp hours, but it turns into amp hours, right? Okay. But it's amp hours. So not watt hours. And they're, yeah. So I've been thinking about why that is. I, I, I have a, an explanation. I'm not sure it holds water, but let me try it. <laughs> Because <laughs> those are different units, right? Those yeah, aren't right. the same kind of units. 
Right. So let me relate these. Um, the ultimate measure of stored energy is kilowatt hours or watt hours. It's not amp hours or milliamp hours. But you can easily derive what that total stored energy is given milliamp hours if all if you know the voltage of the battery providing that milliamp hour. And typically these um these units of milliamp hours are used with batteries where the voltage is known or maybe standardized. Like it's often used for like a 12 volt battery or a 1.5 volt AA battery. Those voltages are standardized. So there's an assumption about what the voltage is. So they just give you the amp hours and to get the watt hours, you just multiply by that voltage that's standardized. Did they think that would make it easier on us? I don't know why they did it that way. Um, it's, that's where not it's not as clear, except possibly with the large batteries like, like our uh, whole home bat backup battery or an EV battery, those voltages that are used are not necessarily standardized across manufacturers. They may use different voltages. So to, to use amp hours in those larger batteries would not be as clear because you wouldn't know what voltage to apply to that to get the ultimate measure of energy storage, which is watt kilowatt hours or watt hours. They really do hate us. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't compare. You couldn't take a little... Um, a, uh, a little you know, iPhone battery and compare it and say, how big of a battery would I need? Or how is that capacity compared to my car battery? No, you can't do that conversion. Can't. No, but you can't do it unless they also tell you the number of volts. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you do need to know the number of volts in that small battery that's giving you just amp hours or milliamp hours. You'd still need to know the the voltage to get bring it up to kilowatt hours or watt hours and compare it with a car or a backup home backup battery. So I'm going to jump the shark and go one step further into this madness. When you get, uh, I remember we used to get five watt charger plug things for our iPhones. And then when yeah. the, when the, uh, when the iPad came out, they were 10 Watts it might even have been 10.2 or something like that. But then if you, if you look at a charger at a, at a charger block, so again, not, nothing to do with batteries, they would often tell you the, the watts were a function of how many volts and amps, and they would give you different ones, like five volts, two amps, that's why it's 10 watts. But then it would also say, and I'm going to make this one up, a two volts, five amps, it would also be mm -hmm. 10 watts. You see these different ranges. Do you know why that is? Well, th that's just because the, the, the battery and charger technology has progressed to the point where the charger can provide different voltages and currents to the battery being charged for oh, various reasons. It to might adapt be, to what that battery wants? Right. Oh. Right. How much it's, it wants to draw or how much load is being put on it. Um, so it's an adaptive thing that can change over time. But, I, but, okay. but the thing that's fixed or the thing that limits it is the product of that volts and amps, which is the wattage that is that it's rated for. And, and it doesn't always work out to the same number. Just yeah, so you they know, round but. sometimes, and but but that that wattage number will be a max typically. the The product of the two might be under that, but it shouldn't be over that that wattage. Well, I'm glad I actually did jump the shark on that one because I've always wondered why they would give you several different combinations. It's like, why is it more than one thing? Why isn't it just yeah. this is how it is? But that makes right. sense. Yeah. But the battery has has to also have the smarts to take in and control that varying charge rate and volt voltage. All right. Well, so Steve, this was really good. And I think it's good that we spent a long time arguing about what order to put all of this in. Um, I reserve the right to not understand this again tomorrow, but we're going to put this in as a blog post so that people can uh, refer to this. And you can just point me back at this and make me read it every time I want to say the unit's wrong. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. Okay. So bottom line, you're talking about batteries like on, a, on an EV... Kilowatt hours is how much total energy is stored. Watt hours 
No, shoot, kilowatt hours. That was kilowatt hours. And watts is how fast you can charge it, or kilowatts is how fast you can charge it. Right. Okay, I almost right. made it through without screwing it up, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so well. so anybody who has questions on this can write to Steve at podfeet.com, not That's to me. That's a good me. place. And if you want to follow me, now this is uh, compliments of Bodhi. He reminded me that I have a YouTube channel. Oh, you do? That's yeah, right. So you can follow me on YouTube at uh, Steve Sheridan. Just search for Steve Sheridan. And I was surprised that I pop up close to the top for the, for the Steve Sheridan. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think there'd be a lot of them. Well, you've actually got some really cool stuff up there, like your uh, Eclipse videos, and uh, and there tends to be a lot of fun space stuff up there, right? And my most recent is a video of a James Webb Space Telescope model that I recently assembled, and it's foldable. It's really cool. <laughs> Courtesy of Pat Dengler, who made him all the parts with her 3D printer. But you'll learn all about that when you watch the video, when yes. you follow Steve Sheridan on yes. YouTube. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. This was fun. Thanks, Allison. It's a good time. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. I had a really good time. I know it was a lot of electrical engineering and a lot of EV talk and solar charging talk, but hey, it's what we're interested in right now, so I had a lot of fun. Did you know you can email me at allison at podfeet.com? Don't forget to send me your tiny tips on how you make your Mac sing. And uh, you can send me emails anytime you like, and I almost always answer people. If you have a question or a suggestion, just send it on over. You can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. And if you want to join in the fun of the conversation, you can join our Slack community at podfeet.com slash Slack, because you know everything good starts with podfeet.com. At our Slack community, you can talk with me and all of the other lovely NoSilla castaways. Speaking of everything good, starting with podfeet.com, you can support the show at podfeet.com slash Patreon, or you can do a one-time donation like Steve Matan did at podfeet.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And I got to tell you, next week, I don't know, I'm not sure, there might be uh, grandchildren involved. It's either a good thing or a bad thing. We'll find out. Anyway, when you do come to the live show, you can join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.